I am just so thankful um, for Abby and Andrew and those who have served us um, in the worship of the Lord through our online ministry. It's just amazing to have these guys who can serve and use their gifts, and we're just so thankful to them. So I would appreciate in your comments if you would say thanks to them as well, because it is so good to worship our holy God together in this way and sing to him like we are. If you have your Bibles, please open them uh, to 1 Peter chapter 1. And this morning we will be looking at verses 10 to 12. 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 10 to 12. And what I want you to see as I read uh, these two verses for you, what I want you to see is the longing that is in these verses, the longing for something to come in these verses. Verse 10 reads, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicated when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. And so in this scripture, what you've got is this sense of longing, longing to see something that they know is promised, longing for them to see it happen and to see it take place. Often in our lives, we have this experience of of longing for a moment to come, excited for a moment in our lives to come. We were talking with a a relative of ours last night, and, and, and she's pregnant. She's longing for the day the baby will come. She's been given a date, and so she's longing for that date for the baby to come. And it reminded me of our three longings, the time when Luana was pregnant with our children and and how much longing there was for that day or that date to come. Because the nine month period is a long period of longing, especially when you're in our case for for two of our children. We were in um, Chicago and I remember for one of the pregnancies, I can't remember exactly which one. It was it was during the, the summer months and we were living in a building. It was a, a building called uh, Section 8 housing. And in that housing, you um, basically what that meant was you had um, elderly people in the building. And so they couldn't they could either have the heat on or the air conditioning on, but you couldn't use both. It wasn't a, a dual system. And so they had to keep the heating on even longer into the summer, and we could not use the air conditioning. But I remember the time Luana was was pregnant, waiting for this day to come, waiting for this baby to come, and yet in the sweltering heat, trying to sleep. All this longing for the day that was to come. And now as we look back on that, as as me and Luana look back on that, we know exactly what happens. We know exactly who was born. We know exactly the day that they were born. There is no more longing. We know exactly what happened. And so it is with the prophets. The prophets, they spoke of a day 
They spoke of a salvation. They spoke of a grace. They spoke of a Christ. They spoke of a day that they were longing to see. And yet they could not see. And yet here we stand, you and me, we stand in this part of salvation history and we don't have that longing, that same longing that they had for Messiah to come because we know when it happened. We know what took place. We know when he was born. We know when he lived. We know when he died. We know when he rose again. We know. And so we stand today in a more privileged position than the prophets themselves. The prophets who heard directly from God and were able to say, thus says the Lord, we see today what they longed for. We have a vision today that they long to see. But here's the problem. In our sufferings and in our trials, it is hard for us to see. We listen to what Peter said in chapter 1, verse 8, when he says this, though you have not seen him. When we hear Peter say that to us, we say that's exactly right. We have not seen him. And we do not see, and sometimes we forget that we stand in such a privileged position. We forget all that we see because of our trials. We kind of have that, that, that what I call the, the Thomas syndrome. If, you, if the Lord would just show me his hands, if he would just let me touch his side, if I could just see him with my eyes, if I could just hear him with my voice, then I would be in a privileged position. But what Peter is trying to remind us and what God is trying to remind you today is that you stand in one of the most privileged positions in all of salvation history. And sometimes we forget because of our troubles. I was talking with someone a few weeks ago, a good while ago, and I was talking to them about their trials and their difficulties. And they said to me, Shane, All I see is black. All I see is black. And I thought that was a very vivid description of the trials that that person was facing. All I see is black. Sometimes in our trials we forget all that we see in Jesus. We forget the privileged position that we stand in, in comparison to the prophets themselves. So there's three things that we see that they did not see. There are three different views that we have that they did not have. The first thing we see is this. We see the salvation that the prophets longed for. Look at verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully. Concerning this salvation. Sometimes during our trials, we can forget that we are saved. We can forget that we have salvation. Why? Because we're going through such hardships. It's hard to remember how good we have it. So what he is saying is concerning this salvation, we see in salvation what the prophets longed to see. Now, what I need you to remember is this. The way of salvation 
for the prophets and those in the Old Testament. The way of salvation was the same, but the sight of salvation was different. The way of salvation was the same. Here's what I mean by the way of salvation was the same. Often people will ask the question, how did people in the Old Testament get saved? How did they have salvation? Well, it was the same way of salvation as it is for us. The way of salvation is by faith. You remember in Genesis 15, verse 6, it says, Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. The way of salvation was the same. We hear of all the accounts of of faith in, in Hebrews 11, when it says to us of all these great saints of faith of old, Abel believed and had faith to offer God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. By faith, Abraham, when he was called out to a place, he went. By faith, Moses, when he was born, his parents hid him for three months. By faith, Moses kept the Passover. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish. The way of salvation for them was the same as it is for us. It was by faith. And then Hebrews 11 verse 13 says to us this. These died in faith, not having received the things promised. The way of salvation for them was the same as it is for us. But here's the difference. The sight of salvation is different. It is almost like we are we are two friends who come into the cinema together. And when we come into the cinema, we sit down and we have our popcorn and there a prophet sits beside us and there we sit beside them and, and we're watching the same film. But then then we realize that the film is 3D. And the prophet says they're watching the film, they're they're looking on, but they don't have the glasses. And so they see kind of images, but it is a blur. For us, we see the true and clear picture. This side of the cross, we see perfectly the salvation of the Lord. We have a clear and perfect picture. Sometimes in our trials, we find it hard to see how good we have. That's the difficulty, isn't it? That's why you worry for for your children. You worry that they won't live in too much privilege because if they do, they will forget how good they have it. That's the fear for us. We will forget how good we have it. And we have seen salvation. And we need to know this morning, I want you to know this morning and remember this morning as as we see our great salvation. Remember this morning what you have been saved from and remember this morning what you have been saved to. We have been saved from the wrath of God. Do you remember the condition you were in? Ephesians chapter 3 tells us of this condition that we were in. And I want you to hear these verses, even though some of them will be very familiar to you. But just sit back and, and listen to these verses of where you once were. 
says this, and you were dead in, in trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This is where we were. This is what we have been saved from. Wrath and judgment is no longer poured out against us because of our great salvation. We have been saved from our old way of life. If you were to just think for a second about your old way of life, imagine I was to play for you an account of all your old way of life, your old patterns, your old thinking, your old life. And then if I were to say to you, you've been saved from all of that. What does that do in your heart but encourage your soul? You've been saved from this old way. We've been saved from wrath. And what have we been saved to? We have been saved to eternal life. This passage, it mentions salvation Three times, and I want you to see the picture of salvation that it speaks to us. Verse 5, it says this, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. That tells us two things about our salvation. Our salvation is by faith, and our salvation is now, but it is to come. We have been saved from wrath. For salvation. And then it comes up again in verse 9. Obtaining the outcome of your faith. The salvation of your souls. Two things about salvation. It is by faith. And it results in the salvation of our souls. And this is the salvation that Peter is talking about in verse 10. Concerning this salvation. We have been saved, brothers and sisters, from wrath to eternal life. And how did that happen? By Jesus Christ. Jesus is the personification of our salvation. And the prophets, when they looked on, they all they saw, they saw an image, but it was blurry. But we now, through the pages of Scripture, see it crystal clear. Do you remember Simeon in the temple in Luke chapter 1 that we've been studying? Do you remember how, how when the Lord came to him in the temple as a baby, what did he say? I can depart in peace, for today my eyes have seen your salvation. When he looked at Jesus, he saw salvation personified. That's what Jesus' name's name means. Savior of the world. Maybe this morning all you are seeing is black. Maybe this morning all you are seeing is discouragement. I want to, to bring you back to the place where all you see is your salvation. 
We prayed this week, didn't we? I think it was on Friday. We prayed this prayer from Psalm 54, I think it is. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. I want you to pray that prayer today. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Remind me, Lord, of the privileged space in which I stand, that we have got it better than the prophets. We've got it better than them. We can see the Lord's salvation. That's the first thing we see. The second thing we see is the Lord's grace. We see the grace the prophets longed to see. Look again at verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. What do they prophesy about? Within this salvation that we have received, they prophesied about a grace that was to be ours. And when they spoke about it, when they predicted it, what does it say they did? They searched and they inquired carefully. They were asking themselves, what is this grace? What does this grace look like? What is it going to be like? What are these guys going to experience? Lord, how is this grace going to fit? What is this salvation plan going to look like? And we must remember this. The prophets, it wasn't like the prophets did not see the grace of God. Because the prophets saw firsthand the grace of God in their lives. Just think back to one of the earliest prophets. You may not think he is a prophet, but think back to one of the earliest prophets. His name is Moses. And here's how we know that Moses was a prophet. In Deuteronomy 34, verse 10, it says of him, after his death, and there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. He was a prophet. He spoke the word of the Lord to the Lord's people. And as a prophet, he saw firsthand the grace of God, the very grace of God. And here's how he saw it. Many of us, we associate with Moses the Ten Commandments. And you may have seen a picture of the Ten Commandments, maybe up on a a Sunday school wall or in a creche or in a religion class. You you see the Ten Commandments up on the wall and, and and it begins with, you shall have no other gods. But what I want to say to you about those posters is those posters, they always begin in the wrong place. They always begin in the wrong place. The Ten Commandment posters that you see on the wall, they don't start in the wrong right place. Why? Because they skip the introduction. If you skip the introduction of a book, you'd miss the whole point of the book. If you skip the introduction of a film, you'd miss the whole point of the film. And this is what happens with the Ten Commandments, the ten words that have come from God. We skip the introduction. And we teach our children the commands without teaching our children and ourselves the introduction. So how did the introduction go? It went like this. Exodus 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. 
out of the ha- of the land of slavery. That's how it begins. The introduction to the Ten Commandments begins with grace. The Lord says, I've saved you. I've delivered you. And now I'm calling you to live for me. We skip the introduction and we shouldn't. The prophets, the very earliest of prophets, Moses, saw the grace of God in their deliverance. And the more traditional prophets, the major prophets and the minor prophets, they also saw the grace of the Lord. We, we think of the prophets as we read them as just fire and brimstone and judgment. And yes, they came to God's people with messages, warnings of judgment. They were calling God's people back to relationship with God. They were calling them back to the covenant agreement and partnership that they had with God. Back to a place of obedience. That's what they were calling them back to. And so they're warning them, if you don't turn back in this relationship, you will experience the curses of the law. You will experience judgment. Except always, 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 always in the prophets, there is this pattern of judgment and hope. Wrath and restoration. The Lord never left his people without hope. He always promised that he would keep his people. He would keep a remnant of his people for himself. But the prophets, they not only spoke of judgment. They not only spoke of resurrection, but they spoke of the great prophet, the great king, the great priest who was to come. They spoke of the one who was the ancient of days. They spoke of the one who was the son of man. They spoke of the one who was the wonderful counselor. They spoke of the one who was the prince of peace. They spoke of the one who was the suffering servant. They spoke of him. They saw salvation, but all they saw was the titles. What we see, what we see in this side of salvation is we see the man, Jesus Christ. We see what they long to see. We see grace personified, not only salvation personified, we see grace personified in Jesus Christ. And this is what John was talking about in John chapter 1, verse 14, when he said, and the word became flesh. And dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. As of the only son from the father. Full of grace and truth. He goes on in verse 16 to say. For from his fullness. We have all received. Grace upon grace. (laughs) This side of salvation history. We see the fullness of God's grace that the prophets longed to see. We don't know how good we have it, brothers and sisters, because we see grace in Jesus. Are you missing the grace of Jesus in your life? Are you finding it hard to see this grace? 
Here are some signs that you will have in your life that you are finding it hard to see God's grace. You'll say to yourself stuff like this. I'm not going to pray today. And the reason I'm not going to pray today, Lord, is because you and I know that I'm not good enough to stand before you. We say stuff like this. We say, I'm not going to read my Bible today, Lord, because you and I know I'm just not right before you. So I'm going to put it away. I'm not going to attend church today, Lord, you know, because I'm not good enough. I'm just not behaving myself well enough today. What you are missing is grace upon grace. If it was about your works, if it was about how good you are, you would never be able to read the Bible. If it was about how good you are, you would never be able to pray. If it was about how good I am, I would never be able to preach. But I stand here alone by the grace of God. That is how I stand. And that is how you sit and how you listen. It is by the grace of God. It is not by you. It is not by your works. It is not by what you've done. You come and you fall at his feet because of his grace. You do not deserve it, but he has given you it to you anyway in Jesus Christ. Oh, how privileged we are to see the grace of God. But not only do we see salvation that they longed for and grace that they longed for, but we see the Christ that the prophets longed to see. Ultimately in salvation and ultimately in grace, what does that point to? It points to Christ. Verse 11 says this, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. They were inquiring of this Christ. They wondered what what this person would be like. They wondered when the time would come for him to come. They were waiting for the birth of the Messiah. They, They knew something about him. They had this picture. It was a blurry picture, but they did have this this picture of the Messiah. The picture was twofold. They had a picture of his sufferings and they had a picture of his glories. The picture of his sufferings that they speak of in Isaiah 53 is probably the clearest passage that speaks of his sufferings. The suffering servant, the one who was despised, the one who was rejected, the one who was wounded, the one who had nothing in his appearance to attract us to him, the one who was killed. They knew about his sufferings. But they didn't quite know. They were still inquiring as to what these sufferings would would really look like. And then, of course, not only did they know about his sufferings, but they, they knew and predicted 700 years before all of this. They knew and predicted his glories. Remember in Isaiah chapter 9. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. 
And this, this government, this reign in the line of David would be a forever reign. They knew of his glories. They knew of his sufferings and they knew of his glories, but they didn't quite know exactly what that would look like. But for you and me, brothers and sisters, we see clearly, we have seen in Jesus, the suffering servant, the one who was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We see not only his sufferings, but we have seen him in his glories. When on the third day he rose again and was exalted to the heavens. And while we see his sufferings and while we see his glory, we still have a longing, don't we? The longing when we will see him face to face. When every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So in that sense, we long in the same way that the prophets long. Except we have far more than they have. For we see Jesus Christ. And I want you to think about for a second the day that you saw Jesus Christ for the very first time. The day that you saw him for who he was, for his sufferings and his glories. The day that you saw him and looked upon him and and believed in him. Think about this for a second. How did you come to see and believe in Jesus? How did you come to that knowledge of salvation? Well, here is how you came to that knowledge of salvation. Through the prophets and through people. That's what he says here in verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. In the things that have now been announced to you through those who have preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. This is how you know of God's salvation. This is how you know of God's grace. This is how you know of Jesus Christ. You know by the prophets and you know by other people. The prophets, when they were writing, they were serving you because they were speaking of the Messiah to come. And then there was people in your life that were serving you by speaking to you of the Messiah who came. Praise God for those people that he put in your life. Isn't that the means by which God brought you to himself? I'm sure right now you're thinking of some of those people that God used in your life. Maybe a youth leader. Maybe a friend. Maybe a family member. Maybe a preacher. God used those people. To open up your eyes and to remind you how good you have it in seeing the Savior. And what we need this morning, brothers and sisters, is to be brought back to that place. Back to that place of our first sight of our Savior. When we see him for who he is. For all that he has done in our lives. Never forget, brothers and sisters, how good we have it. Never forget how privileged of a place we stand. We have it better than the prophets. For we see the Savior. 
when thinking of that day of salvation, that moment of grace, that moment when you saw Jesus for who he really is, I was reminded of the conversion story of Charles Spurgeon. And for those of you who know me, you know I, I, I love his writings and his sermons and just just what, how, the, how the Lord used him in his life. But one of the most incredible accounts is the account of when he first saw the Savior. It was a winter's morning. There was, there was a snowstorm. And he was heading, I think, to one church. And because of the snowstorm, he ended up at a very young age going into this, in his teens, going into this primitive Methodist church, a small little Methodist church to get away from the snowstorm. And he went into the church and there was about 12 or 15 people there. And he sat down. And I want you to listen to how he describes his first sight of the Savior. It is glorious. He says this. In that chapel, there might have been a dozen or 15 people. The minister did not come that morning. He was snowed up, I suppose. A poor man, a shoemaker, a tailor, or something of that sort, went up to the pulpit to preach. He was obliged to stick to his text for the simple reason that he had nothing else to say. His text was Isaiah 45, verse 22. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. He did not even pronounce the words right. But that did not matter. There was, I thought, a glimpse of hope for me in that text that day. He began like this. My friends, this is a very simple text indeed. It says, look. Now that does not take a great deal of effort. It ain't lifting your foot or your finger. It is just look. Well, a man need not go to college to learn how to look. You may be the biggest fool and yet you can look. A man need not be worth a thousand a year to look. Anyone can look. A child can look. But this is what the text says. Look on to me. Ah, he said, many of you are looking to yourselves. No use looking there. You'll never find any comfort in yourselves. Then the good man <laughs> followed up the text in this way by saying, look on to me. I'm sweating great drops of blood. Look on to me. I am hanging on the cross. Look unto me, I am dead and buried. Look unto me, I rise again. Look unto me, I ascend and I am seated at the right hand of the Father. Look unto me, look unto me, look unto me. (laughs) When he had got about that length and managed to spin another ten minutes out of those words, he then looked at me, sitting in the gallery in disarray. So few present, he knew me to be a stranger. He then said, young man, you look miserable. Can you imagine this in the middle of the sermon? Young man, you look miserable. Well, I did, he said. I had not been accustomed to remarks made on me in my personal appearance from a pulpit before. (laughs) However, it was a good blow for me. He continued and said, 
And you will always be miserable. Miserable in life and miserable in death if you do not obey my text. But if you obey now, at this very moment, you will be saved. Then he shouted, as only a primitive Methodist could do, young man, look to Jesus Christ. Spurgeon then says, there and then, the cloud was gone. The darkness had rolled away. And that moment I saw the sun. And I could have risen that moment and sung with the most enthusiastic of angels of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. All you need to do is look. It doesn't matter what age you are this morning. Whether you're young just looking in on the screen with your mummy and daddy. All you need to do is look, believe, be saved. It doesn't matter if you're sitting on your own in your your computer room and you've never listened to anything like this before. All you need to do is look, be saved. And maybe you have looked. You've forgotten what you see. What you see. Is God's salvation, God's grace, and God's Christ. And you know what? You see, according to the end of this verse, you see what angels longed to look for. You see what the angels longed to see, and that blows my mind. Do you remember where the angels are? Do you remember what Gabriel said to Zechariah? I stand in the presence of God. That's where the angels stand. And yet, even though they stand in the presence of God, worshipping him for all eternity, you know what they long to see? They long to see what we see. They long to see the redemption that we see, the grace that we see, the salvation that we see, the justification that we see. They long for it. We are in a privileged position. We have got it better than the prophets. And we have got it better than the angels. Oh, what a blessing and encouragement that is. May our hearts be lifted. To look onto Jesus today. Let's sing as we take uh, this moment to respond in praise to the Lord of the sight that we see in Jesus. Let us sing together by faith. And as we sing that together, do take time to, to send your comments, your thoughts, your reflections, your praises to God for his word, for everything that we see. Let's, let's take this moment just to praise him together. Let's sing by faith.